thought you were frozen again. <laughs> am I? Am I? Can you hear me? No, you're just paused holding the dog. I'm all. <laughs> Dare I say <laughs> this conversation will forever have an incredibly special place in my heart, in my memory bank, in my mm-hmm. toolkit, mm-hmm. because wow, was this truly one of the best interviews I think we've ever had. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. And I mean, and it's of a course, testament to our guest. A hundred percent. It was all of our guests. And of course, in such a TMV way, it came about so kismetly. Kismetly? So kismet. Yeah. In such a kismet Kism- way, which we'll, kismet you, you'll way. hear about. Yeah, you'll you hear will. about. But let me tell you who you have the pleasure of listening to. And learning from today. And learning from today. Today we have on Mina B. We love you. She has been a bucket list for us since the day we started this podcast. Absolutely. True story. Mina B is a writer, author, and the founder of Mina B Consulting, a mental health consulting practice that works with organizations to help them develop psychological safety and become mental health inclusive. She's also a licensed mental health professional and worked as a therapist specializing in treating depression, anxiety, and trauma. An expert in her field, Mina sits on the mental health advisory committee for Wondermind, a mental fitness company founded by Selena Gomez, which I've interviewed her for. Mm-hmm. And Meadow has interviewed her for Local Optimist. So go team for having the honor of interviewing her twice now. <laughs> Mina has also been featured in various media outlets, such as Red Table Talk, A Peace of Mind with Taraji, BBC Essence, sorry, BBC, comma Essence. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> when did they do a collab? Yeah. <laughs> her new book, Owning Our Struggles, A Path to Healing and Finding Community in a Broken World, is on sale on August 22nd. So go get your copy. Part of the reason why we were so grateful for this conversation is we really haven't had a conversation in this space yet that was truly dedicated to community and like community Mm -hmm. healing as self-care. And boy, was that just kind of the through line for everything we talked about today. We talked about, of course, her book. We talked about how self-care is the bridge to community care is the bridge to community healing, how her personal healing experiences reflect her philosophy. We talked about what that looks like in terms of interacting with digital communities and communities with your family and, and setting boundaries and what real boundaries are and what they mean and how we uphold them and the respect we have for other people, how that translates into politics and systemic level community healing. We really ran the damn gamut. (laughs) There's some actionable tools in there. There's stuff on gratitude. There's stuff on grounding, co-regulating with community. Like this one is just chop full. Pull out the notebooks. Seriously, as Mina says, we are not healing to exist within a vacuum. We are healing to integrate within our community and build healthy supportive networks. And that was really the through line of this combo. It really was. And doesn't that remind you so much of Joanna, which is fun because the first time we all met in person was Joanna was hosting when she said, you don't heal to utopia, you heal to real life. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. This episode, I just think is a must listen, share it with your family, share it with your friends. I think this will hopefully help all of us move through the world in a more joyous and more intentional way. Yeah. Enough of us. Yeah. Who cares about us? Who cares? Who cares about us? When we have Mina, Mina. thank you so much. Thank you so much. We're infinitely grateful to you and all of the work that you do. And it makes us really hopeful. So thank you. Here's to the hope, baby. Now enjoy our episode with Mina B. I'm Meadowlark. And I'm Gabriela. 
And this is Thoughts May Vary. The podcast that sits at the intersection of mental health, nuance, and community. And we're grateful you're here. And that's me. That's just a little bit about us. Yeah. And. Is that gimmicky <laughs> enough for the people? <laughs> we are so grateful that you are here. Thank you so much again for taking the time. You have been somebody since we started the podcast that has been on our bucket list. So this is a really big deal for us. Well, thank you. I'm really happy to hear that. I'm excited to chat with y'all today. We had our very accidental meet cute at the UN when we were there for celebrating Joanna and all the amazing work they're doing over at the Alliance, which was wild because for the backstory, for the people listening, they all know because we we talked about how excited we were to be invited to this amazing event for Eating Awareness Day. Of course, we yelled about Mm -hmm. it. We yelled about it a lot. (laughs) It was a big deal. And of course, we walk in and we go to our table and who's at our table but Mina. And we were like, yep, this is exactly. We were like, you're on our books already. This is so yeah. kismet. That was so cute. Yeah. We had such a good table too. We did. We did. Our conversation was amazing. I loved everybody. Everyone was sweet. Everyone was kind. Yeah. It just felt perfectly aligned. Totally. Mm-hmm. Thought It really did. Yeah. It really, really day. did. Yeah. It really, really did. Meadow, I want to take it away. Yeah, we, Mina, to start every episode, we ask all of our guests, what are you unpacking? And you could take that whichever way you want to go, light, deep, whatever's coming up for you. I'm literally still unpacking my suitcase from last week when I flew to Chicago. So if you want me to get like really literal with that question. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's been a week. Don't judge me that my suitcase is still there, but I'm exhausted. (laughs) So I don't need anything from it right now. So I'm just going to treat it like a dresser and I'll I'll fix Uh the things up when I get the time or not even the time. I have the time. I just don't care to. I'll just be honest. (laughs) I'm the same way. Aside from that, I guess metaphorically, when am I unpacking? I think I am not in a bad way, but I think I'm unpacking the heaviness of this book that will be released August 22nd, my book, Owning Our Struggles. Um, It has been three years in the making. Wow. And yeah, and I think that I'm in a place now where I am just finally releasing myself, getting ready to just let the book have its own journey once it's out. Totally. Um, And I kind of feel like I'm in a place now where I'm like sorting through all the things that are related to the book and I'm just like letting it have its own way. I'm curious for someone who's a mental health professional and now wrote a book on topics like this and has conversations that is constantly interviewed, your work and mental health is like not your own personal mental health. Like it's hard to separate that, right? So is there yeah. a way that you like yeah. can leave work at the door? Oh, absolutely. I have, you know, I've been doing this work since 2014. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I have been become very aware of my boundaries and very aware of my energetic capacity. And really being firm with my no, there are moments where I realize I'm overwhelmed and I have to do a check-in to realize, okay, I need to draw new boundaries here. But I Mm -hmm. do feel like I do a really good job at allowing myself to live a life separate from the work that I do, especially Mm -hmm. when the work you do is what you're passionate about. And it's about like your whole well-being, (laughs) right? It's not like I log into a computer and I, you know shift through a database all day and then I can just close my laptop and walk away from work. Like it's a part of me wherever I go. But 
I'm very big on just like being a social person, practicing mindfulness, really engaging with people and doing things that I love outside of my work. So I do feel like I've grown to have like a great sense of awareness to be able to learn how to separate the two in some capacity. Yeah. Totally. Mm. Let's backtrack and get to the start of the creative process. Like it's been three years in the making. How did this come up? Did you already know, always know exactly what it was going to be? Like, tell us all about the making of the book. Um, So I did not know specifically what I wanted the book to be about, but I knew the the theme of the book was going to center a community here because Mm. that is what my work is rooted in, especially with a background in social work, you know, as well. Um, We learn a lot about community in the field and the importance of community and really seeing the client and how they integrate into the world and the systems Mm. they are forced to interact with. So I knew I wanted to focus on a book that really helps people understand relationships, how to build healthy relationships, Mm. how to engage in belonging, how to cultivate belonging, how to really practice togetherness. And what really helped me define the concepts of the book were the things that took place during the year of 2020. So that is when I wrote the proposal for my book. It was around like October, November. So it's pretty late within the year. Mm-hmm. And I think all the things that was happening in our world between the coronavirus pandemic, the racial injustices, um, the loneliness epidemic, I realized that now we're in a time where people are really seeking information on how do we actually practice connection. And I think yeah. it's because for a really long time, we've been taught to deal with our individual traumas. But I mm-hmm. think I can't speak for the world, but I think this was the first time that collectively we all experienced societal trauma, mm-hmm. right? For And within a really long time, like there's been societal mm-hmm. events that have taken place that were extremely traumatic, but I think 2020 was just a year where it felt, it felt so ongoing that a lot of people are like, okay, I'm experiencing direct trauma, but I'm also experiencing indirect trauma. And the reality is that we are wired for connection. So I can do all the self-help work. I can go see my therapist and have one-on-one sessions. I can read the books. I can listen to the podcast, but I still have to learn how to integrate into community. Mm -hmm. And I think that was the focal point where I was seeing all the stories and reading all the headlines. And I said, this is how I want to structure my book. And so the book takes the reader on a journey where chapter one, the introduction in chapter one really focuses on childhood. And then chapter two brings the the reader into adulthood. And then chapter three and beyond brings the reader into different experiences that we have within adulthood from Mm. dating, friendships, parent-child relationships, our relationship to work. And it really helps them explore the different domains we're kind of forced to engage with that helps us thrive and the systems we engage with, you know? And so that is what inspired the book. Mm. This I mean, I know we're going to get into, we have so many questions for you about all of this, but just listening to you speak, I'm like, God, I just wish this was public school curriculum because this is how, like, just in one example of the ways in which this can heal the world, this perspective could really significantly help the housing crisis. Like if we had community reintegration programs, my partner and I talk about this all the time. Like there's, there is the mental health revolving door and not, we don't have access to care, but then also like we don't teach people how to pay rent, how to interact with other people, how to manage your triggers in a conversation. And these things also contribute to people staying homeless. 
Like there's not access to community care and support in this way. It's just, oh, we have so many questions for you. I can't even get started. Well, yeah. I mean, even when you bring up just the pandemic, isn't it interesting that we spent, you know, three years of our lives yeah. feeling so deeply isolated, going through something as a collective, as you said. And then when we start, you know, we have these mental health conversations coming up more than ever. And then as we start working on our mental health more than ever for the, maybe for the first time for some folks, mm -hmm. it is still geared in inwards. It's directed inwards. It's directed yeah. to be a solo individual act. Like Meadow said, I don't think that we have the proper education model to like yeah. even teach yeah. people how to do that. Totally. To look totally. outward and connect with others. Yeah. That's why we need these books so desperately. Yeah. And I, I think that this is, I'm hoping it's a starting point. Totally. Because we are still living in a loneliness epidemic. This mm -hmm. is the perfect time for us to be building the skills around community. I think there are a lot of distractions and I think social media plays a role in it because we are now more than ever, like really ingrained into our phones and the culture of the things that's happening literally on our devices. And then we're also living in a time where we're receiving so much mental health content from the online space, but not really learning how to apply it in real time mm. and also learning to use discernment to recognize, well, this doesn't really apply to my situation. It's just so complex. <laughs> and I'm so happy that I was given the opportunity to be able to write a book from front to back 65,000 wow. plus words because you can't do that in an Instagram post. <laughs> you can't. Yeah. Community care is something I'm hoping we see become more and more integrated in the conversation of wellness. Mm -hmm. I mean, I love that you brought up social media because there's so yes. much to dig in with just that topic. And when you were saying, you know, we've, we're more attached to our phones than ever, I, this memory just came to me literally last night. This happened where I finished eating dinner. I live alone. I was like doing my nightly doom scroll on whatever app. You forget that you're alone for a second because you feel mm -hmm. like you're interacting with somebody, even though you're completely not. I was like, oh yeah, I'm not alone. I, I completely, you know, distracted myself from that. And then the minute I closed the app and turned my phone off. It was so quiet. Mm. And I was like, uh, and for a split second, you feel lonelier than you ever have in your life mm -hmm. in that exact moment. I don't think that's something that we know how to grapple with. Mm -hmm. yeah. I know I don't. Are there things that people can be doing when they're interacting with social media to help them combat that feeling of, I need to apply every type of self-care mental health advice that I see on the internet to my life? What's good information? What's not? So, what's just a game of telephone, which we what see a lot happening. What are the lenses we need to put on to like mm -hmm. consume it critically? Yeah, you know, I honestly think that in order to do that, we need to learn how to practice discernment and self-awareness. I think that when I'm sharing content online or I'm doing whatever I'm doing related to mental health, I find that a lot of people lack self-trust. Yeah. They lack really relationship with themselves to know this isn't for me, right? I can't make that choice for you as a content creator. I can't make the choice whether my content is for you or not. You have to be able to use it, your wisdom to say, can I apply the things Mina is sharing or even other wellness advocates and therapists are sharing? Can I apply this to my life? And if I can't, I have to make peace with recognizing this content isn't for me and scroll past it. 
But in order to do that, you have to know yourself. Mm-hmm. You have to have a relationship with yourself to be able to look within and be at peace with knowing this isn't for me. So I'm just going to scroll past it. Versus one projecting and trying to distort content to fit yourself into it. Two, moving through the world with a sense of entitlement and expecting everyone in the world to always accommodate you, even content creators, right? And so I think what I see happening for people is this lack of self-attunement and this lack of self-reflection to be able to say, I own who I am. And I realize everything I see on the internet is not going to be for me. And I don't have to shout and scream and yell that this person consider me and everything Mm -hmm. they put out because I am not the intended audience. And I also share that because I I wrote this disclaimer in my book, (laughs) in the introduction, because of the interactions that I see happening on social media. But I think the beautiful thing about that is also realizing if I want to be in community with people, I can also own and reassess that, although this is not for me, it might be for my neighbor. It might be for my friend. It might be for my partner. And so instead of trying to insert myself into something that is not for me, how about I take a backseat and be a learner and be a listener and stay quiet, right? Because I might receive this book, Mina wrote, and read through it and realize it doesn't apply to my life, but it might be a very amazing resource for my friend. And so how about I realize that I'm not the main character? Mm. And so there's information out there that is not for me. And I trust myself enough to say, I can reject this without throwing a tantrum. I can reject this without taking it personally. And as a result of taking it personally, this is why I now feel like I'm suffering because I'm beating myself up. I'm blaming myself when the reality is it just wasn't for me. And so how can I trust myself enough to move through the world and be okay with rejecting things? And I think this is what's the struggle for a lot of people when they're in, engaging online. It's like, I think as you what you shared, Gabriella, I think what happens for a lot of us is we feel this level of closeness with the people that we follow. So we actually think they're talking to us. Yeah. We actually think we're best friends. We actually think I've been following you for five years. Of course, this is about me. And it's like, no, this is for billions of people across the world to see. And it might not actually be for you. It actually isn't for you. And I think that's also something a lot of people have to reconcile with when you are engaging on social media so frequently and you're Mm -hmm. following certain accounts that you love and admire, because I think sometimes we start to create this illusion that this person sees me. So you're creating Mm -hmm. the content for me and I'm creating the content for the 300,000 people that follow me, not just for you. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that is what people need. They need discernment. We need wisdom. We need to look within to be able to own who we are, own our struggles, own ourselves, own our wisdom and our expertise of who we are to be able to say some things in life just aren't for me. And maybe that realization can help me feel a little less lonely or feel more healed. That shift in perspective, while I could see so many people in in a comment section on TikTok, get so frustrated, hear a creator say, this isn't for you, scroll past. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When in reality, that beautiful reframe that you just provided with us with 
really just shows how empowered we can feel as individuals to make decisions for ourselves and what is good for us. What an amazing way to help us figure out how our individual talents can help others and can help other people, particularly in the US. The society that we live in is so individualistic and it's so just like get what you can get and hoard it and keep it. It's for you. And when we can actually take a moment to look at what our gifts are that we were put on this earth to project, that can be so incredibly healing and can and connect us in a way that heightens our empathy levels to like just new heights. Cause that's the thing is like we just don't, if it doesn't impact us, we just don't care. We just don't. That's where the hope kind of crept in for mm-hmm. me when you were speaking, Nina, where it's like, well, I guess in order to be this active, regulated, compassionate participant in community, I do need to turn inwards and have that trust and have that self-worth yeah. and have that understanding. So I guess it does make sense that the community care is kind of coming now. And after the fact, we all turned in individual and went individualistic first to try to figure out how to regulate ourselves to then be a participant in community effectively, I guess. Yeah. And that's why I I believe in the model that I share with people, which is self-care is the bridge to community care. And community care is the bridge to community healing. It does start with self. We contribute to the world. We bring our full selves to Mm -hmm. the world. So we do need the self-help. We do need Mm -hmm. self-healing. We do need to be introspective, but we also have to remember we're not healing to exist in a vacuum. We're healing to integrate into community. And so you need to make sure that when you're doing all of this self-healing work, you are also doing it because you recognize that this is going to help me continue to build healthy attachments and bonds with Mm -hmm. other people. I'm not healing just so that I can sit in my house all day and lock myself away from the world. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think that is the beautiful part. But for me, when I wrote this book, I find that the self-help stops at the self. And a lot of people don't know how to bridge it to the next person. And I think that is the piece that can feel tricky for some people where it's like, well, I'm doing all of this healing work and how do I now extend it to other people, right? Because that's Mm -hmm. often a tricky thing, relationships. Mm -hmm. And most of the time when someone is healing, they're healing from a trauma that endured in a relationship, whether it be with a parent, whether it be heartbreak from a partner, whether it be something that happened at work. Oftentimes when you hear stories of people and their trauma, there's another person on the end of that that caused the trauma. There's someone there that caused the rupture. So you can do all this work and learn about boundaries, but you still have to apply it to someone. Mm -hmm. You can do all this work to learn how to communicate. You still have to talk to people, right? And so what I mean where it's like, you can do all of this inner stuff, but you still have to pour it out into community. So I want people to realize that healing doesn't have a period at the end. Healing now bridges to community healing. Right. So there's that dot, 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 that self-help healing work that I'm doing is going to be a part of shifting the world and bringing it to collective change and healing. Mm. Does your own personal healing journey kind of reflect that philosophy or were you raised in really strong community care? Like, how does your personal journey reflect your philosophy? So I absolutely was raised in community. So I am the youngest of 13. Hell yeah. We love big families. <laughs> big yeah. families. Yeah. Um, and I I come from a blended family. So my mom did not push out 13 kids, y'all. 
you're talking to yeah you're talking to two people that we same thing big oh, okay. families over here yeah right. half so, siblings 25 years older than us yeah right. we got the whole yeah yeah yeah, yeah. we are so in sync i think my Literally, oldest sibling is yeah. 30 32 years older than me my oldest sibling same Ooh. same you have yeah you both have me beat i'm like 27 28 years uh, yeah yeah so yeah, so I come from yeah, preaching to the choir. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's personal and professional that got me to where I am. Personally, I come from a large family. Um, I come from a family that practices community. Um, I'm first generation American, and so um, my parents are from Panama and Sanandras, Colombia. And back home, community is vital to the progression of society, right? And that's how most non-Americans integrate with one another, at least mm. in the Caribbean, I should specify. And so for me, I grew up in a very, very large household. And so I always had people like growing up, I had my best friend's mom. I literally call her mom, yeah. right? There yeah. are people who I know who I call them auntie. I call them uncle. We're not blood related at all, mm. but that is how I was raised to recognize that there are people around me who care about my well-being who yes. are going to invest in me and who want to nurture me. And they're like my family. And this is why I even share in my book where your family can be a community, especially if you come from a traumatic household. It doesn't have to be people you share blood with. So my cultural upbringing and just like my own lifestyle played a role in me being so community care focused. But what ended up happening is when I decided to become a social worker, my second year of grad school, I interned at Hazelden Betty Ford Foundation. I'm not sure if you're familiar with them, but it's a substance abuse treatment center. My dad went there. Oh, okay. <laughs> so you are familiar. Betty Ford Clinic. Yeah, yeah. famous. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. they're very well known. And mm-hmm. what was interesting about that, because that is really what shifted my career, My first Mm -hmm. internship, I interned at a high school working with teenagers. And then my second year, I was at Hazelden. And their treatment approach is different. You're probably familiar with it. The clients do weekly one-on-one sessions with their therapists. But four days a week, they have to do 90 minutes of group therapy. And that was the, the, I would say, foundational work that really shifted the type of work I wanted to get into as a Mm. social worker and even as a therapist. And the reason why is because I think one-on-one therapy is beautiful. I was doing one-on-one therapy while being in in grad school. But being in a group setting where there are about 10 to 15 people, they see each other four to five days a week. They also are enrolled in this program for about five to six months. So this is a continuous group of people. What was so beautiful about that experience was You are here because you have dealt with some sort of trauma or rupture related to a relationship that led you to drugs or alcohol. Mm -hmm. But now you have to use relationship to learn how Mm -hmm. to heal. Mm. You have to use relationship to help you on your path of sobriety. And it was so beautiful seeing people be shy, be timid, be traumatized, come to this group and have to bear it all out for 90 minutes, figure out how to support each other, figure out how to manage conflict. If there were arguments Mm -hmm. in the group, we let it happen. Mm -hmm. You have to figure Mm -hmm. out how to navigate conflict here because if you don't do it here, the likelihood of you relapsing, the likelihood of you going back to old habits when you leave this office is high. 
And so I, that just changed my world because I think going back to the self-help concept, one-on-one therapy is beautiful, but you could go to therapy, complain about your mom, complain about your friends, complain yep, about your yep. partner all day. <laughs> your therapist is going to be giving you tips. You have someone mm-hmm. you could vent to. But when you leave that therapeutic room, your therapist is not in your pocket. Mm-hmm. So your therapist isn't there to tap you on your shoulder and say, you wrecked the boundary now. Communicate this now. But in group therapy, when we were in there, when me and my supervisor were leading the groups, we're like, no, say what you say what you said. Say what you said. Hash it out. Say what you said. Go ahead. Say it. Right. You are not leaving this room until you work through this. That literally four days a week. That is what that experience was. Whatever gets brought up in this room, we are going to hash it out. Mm. There is no, we're going to wait till tomorrow or next week, or we're just going to pretend I saw the face you made. What was that about? (laughs) Right. I I saw that face. What you need to say to Meadow? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Oh, it sounds like you have more to say to Gabriella. Tell her what you need. Tell her what you want. Go ahead. That is what that yeah. experience is like. And there is no, and even if Metal runs out the room, let's wait for her to come back. We just gonna yeah. wait. We got 90 minutes yeah. to wait for Metal to come back. Right. And if she, she has, has to be here, she has to yeah. be here. she's enrolled yeah. in the program. She has to be here. And if we don't flush yeah. it out today, we got tomorrow. We got 90 minutes of Metal tomorrow. We're gonna see her yeah. again. And so yeah. people need that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. God, yeah. People need that. And that is why I'm I I just hope that honestly in this culture of wellness, I really want to see group therapy being pushed more. Mm-hmm. Because I think that totally. so much healing can happen in that space because you're forced to do the hard yeah. thing. And I think yeah. a lot of us use avoidance because we're so uncomfortable. But when you're when when conflict is in front of you in a group setting, you gotta deal with it. You gotta work through it. Right. And you have a support system there to get you through it. And so to me, that those are the different things that happened for me personally and professionally that made community care my central focus. Mm. So, I mean, there were so many just like meaty parts of what you just said. And I really want to get to them for people that are doing healing on themselves. Do we have a responsibility to then try and get other people Mm. to then do their healing. Is that our responsibility? Does that lean into community care? Or is it just more of doing the work for yourself so that you can maneuver through community Mm. in a healthier way? So the straightforward answer is no. It is not your responsibility to force someone to do something that they don't want to do. Mm -hmm. Because that is not community care, that is control. Mm -hmm. As a community member, I think this is what's hard for us as people. When you want to exist in a family unit or even in a social unit, a big part of being in community is radical acceptance of the people you make a choice to engage with because every relationship is a choice. I know a lot of us even feel like because we're born into our family, but when you become Mm -hmm. an adult, you are not a powerless person and you can still decide how you show up in your relationships. Mm -hmm. And I think for us as people, being a community member is owning and understanding that I exist around other people who have different values and beliefs than I do. And they have permission to operate in whatever world they want to operate in. And if I realize their values and beliefs do not align with mine, if I feel those values are harmful, if I feel those values are oppressive, 
if I feel those values are injurious to me and my well-being, I have a choice to separate myself from them. We are not forced to be in relationship with people. And I don't want people to think community care means I have to tolerate people Mm. and their abuse and their mistreatment. But I think one of the things that we can do that can be very freeing and beautiful is to ask ourselves, what does it look like to, for me to exist in community with someone who's different from me and still respect their differences? Yes. We may not have the same perspective on depression. And if that is a choice you've made, it doesn't have to alter my beliefs around depression. Maybe I can model what that looks like. I can continue to live in my own values and beliefs while also recognizing you are a whole separate human being from me. And if this is what brings you peace as you maneuver through the world, I have to learn to be okay with that. And I can still respect you as a human being, knowing that we just see this topic or this idea through two completely different lenses. And I think that is the hard part for a lot of people when they exist in community especially in our current culture. I think a lot of people want the people around them to think like them, act like them, agree with them. They want yes men and yes men as friends. Because they took that as safe space. They redefined that term to mean that, which is not what the intended term means. No, no. Being the youngest of 13, some of my siblings share the same beliefs as me and the rest of them don't. And I'm like, you know what? Hey, that's the life you want. That's great. And I can yeah. still love you. Mm-hmm. I can still care for you as long as you're respecting me. Yeah. And I can respect you. Now, when respect is gone, we no longer have a foundation. So there's nothing mm-hmm. for the relationship to stand on. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing that people have to understand. Respect is the foundation. Mm-hmm. Once that mm-hmm. is taken away, there is no relationship. But if there's mm-hmm. respect, I can honor that I'm going in this direction and you're going in that direction, but we can still respect each other and there's reciprocity around that respect. And that is what it actually means to be in community with someone. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Thank you for that incredibly clear distinction, because that is something, I mean, we were just talking about this on the podcast, something that I'm navigating with my family, something that so many of our listeners are and something that I just think we get really cloudy on right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And now also owning to like, you know, I remember the first time I asked my mom to go to therapy with me to like handle some conflicts we have. I actually talk about this in my book. And she was like, no, absolutely not. <laughs> yep. yep. She's like, that's a like you a thing. Yeah. That sounds like a mom. <laughs> yeah. Like, no. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and then, you know, it's so absolutely funny. not. No, thank you. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. She was like, absolutely not. And I, I didn't say to myself, well, my mom must hate me. And I didn't mm-hmm. take it as a personal attack against me. Right. Being in community with my mother meant like, okay, this is a desire versus right. a demand. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important for us to recognize when we flow in our relationships with a sense of expectation versus entitlement. Mm-hmm. Because expectation is this is a desire and I recognize you may not meet that need. I desire this thing of you, but I realize I may not get it and we can still function together. Where Mm -hmm. entitlement is a demand where it's like, if you don't do this thing, how dare you? You can no longer contact me. You can't be in relationship with me. Right. Because you need to jump when I say jump. Right. Right? And I think we have to say to ourselves, 
What does it look like to have desires in our relationships and learn to deal with disappointment when we don't get what we want? Right. Mm -hmm. And for me, when my mom said no to going to therapy, I was like, well, she's a whole human. Mm -hmm. How dare I expect her to do what I want her to do as if she has no autonomy over Mm -hmm. her life? Mm -hmm. And how dare I put my healing in her hands? How dare I say you're responsible for my well-being? I can get the help I need even if you decide that you don't want to practice that healing with me. And I can also own that there are certain things I'm trying to heal from that you caused, but I don't need you, the person who may have caused those ruptures, to fix them. Mm -hmm. Right? And so Mm -hmm. I think a big part of this is just really learning to own that when you want to be in a relationship with someone, you're being in relationship with an autonomous adult who has Mm -hmm. the right to choice. And when they don't make a choice that benefits you, what does it look like to wrestle with that disappointment and realize it's not a personal attack. Meeting people where they are means recognizing that they have choice and I have choice. And maybe there's some boundaries I can erect on how we flow together and integrate with one another. But our relationship doesn't have to suffer because you're not doing the thing I want you to do all the time. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering how we can kind of like scale that situation up to a nationwide level community aspect. I'm coming into this conversation from a very specific, I was just watching an interview with Young Me, who is a, a woman that escaped North Korea and has been doing interviews and wrote a book and was kind of sharing how ultimate freedom to her is this ability to respect one another with the vast differences we have and be in community and like that's the ultimate freedom. But I'm wondering, I think for America, politics, felt so moral and it became such a like the respect and the political views are so hard to grapple with for Mm -hmm. so many people I'm wondering like even even in a mass level if there's like all the all the trans legislation right now like at a mass systematic level of disrespect how do we still find the through line to like push that forward in the same way we're working that out individually if you have any tips or thoughts on that Well, I mean, on an interpersonal level, I do think it's important to recognize that some people have political views that are disrespectful. Right. So if your political view is Black people should be lynched, you don't respect me. Right. (laughs) Right? You have absolutely no respect for me. And so this is an area where we just can't, because if you're voting for the right to lynching, then you just don't care about me. Mm-hmm, if exactly. you're voting to ban gay teachers teaching out of school, you don't right. respect a person who's gay. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really important to realize sometimes that our personal values and beliefs can be disrespectful mm-hmm. to certain cultures and communities that we want to be in relationship with. And people, again, have a right to safeguard themselves from people mm-hmm. who are harmful, because if that's what you're voting for, when is it going to be convenient for you to be oppressive toward me, right? Because there's a lot of people who will say, well, I'm not like that toward you, though. Like, Mm -hmm. you're a different kind of Black girl. Really? (laughs) I just voted for it. You know, you're like, okay. Right, it's not going to happen to you, right? right? And so I think that is the number one thing that's very important. And I think the Mm -hmm. question, the other piece to your question is really complex, It is, yeah. Because systems are designed by people. Mm -hmm. Systems move through this world because of people. Mm -hmm. 
This is why that self-care being the bridge to community care is important because the community care is what leads to community healing. The world doesn't just become it's this thing on its own. People make it what it is. And right. hatred and evil tend to prevail because there are people who are pushing for hatred and evil to prevail. Mm-hmm. And so I think that question is so complex because I think sometimes when we're fighting for change, we're looking at it from a macro lens versus a micro lens and saying on a micro lens, my self-care work sometimes looks like changing my beliefs, challenging my biases, recognizing what's oppression, recognizing what white supremacy actually means, right? Not I'm a white person, so that means I'm evil. No, that's not what white supremacy is, right? And so how do we do this inner work that now translates to how I decide to vote, how Mm -hmm. I decide to treat unhoused people, how I decide to um, make legislative change? It all starts inward. And so it's really hard because I know as people... We exist in what feels like a very broken world, but I do think that micro-centered work is important. And I think a part of that micro-centered work is liberation work and freedom work and joy work. Yeah. Because if you really sit there and put the world under a micro microscope, it's hard, which is why we have a prevalence of mental health issues, right? Because it's not yeah. just my, my choice to wake up and feel sad. We live in a depressing world. We live in a traumatic world. So we also have to stop seeing mental health as something separate from society and collective trauma Mm -hmm. because I'm a firm believer that our nervous system is dysregulated because of the systems we're forced to interact with. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Right. You know, we're calling it anxiety. We're calling it depression. And we're trying to find individual reasons for the diagnosis when the reality is the reason is collective. The reason is institutional. The reason is systemic. (laughs) And I'm waiting for us to realize how mental health is truly political. And I think until we do that work, until that shift happens in society, we also have to just be mindful and say, what do I need to do to give myself peace and joy? to have the courage to still move through what feels like a broken world and broken systems. Yeah. Mm. So beautifully said. Oh my God. Incredibly. I feel like I see that happen a lot with activism work in particular, Mm -hmm. where, you know, name your traumatic thing that happened today in the news happens. Everybody takes to Instagram and you see a list of local policymakers' phone numbers and scripts to email them and all of these things. And while all of those things are valuable and impactful, I see a lot of, how do I say this? I see a lot of like turning away from how we could be contributing to the problem. And this this genuine, I mean, we saw it with the protests that were happening in 2020. Mm -hmm. It was that genuine discomfort of wanting to look at ourselves being like, well, I'm not, I'm not racist you could take a moment to realize the world that you grew up in America and you watch the news and you are not a person of color, 10 out of 10 times, you have developed some sort of microaggression that you are bleeding into the world. Because like everything else, it's a spectrum. Like we're not taught that it's a spectrum. Everything's right. a binary in, right. our, in our rhetoric, mm-hmm. you know? Exactly. So and the, those, conver- I remember having them with my family. It was so tough to break through that initial barrier of mm. you're not a horrible human being and 
there is work that needs to be done that you need to be doing on yourself in order to move through the world in a better place and then in turn make this world a better place. And so I think that this conversation of collective healing is so valuable and important because while that work of looking outwards and and making Mm -hmm. the phone calls and sending the emails and having those peaceful protests and whatever it is, that is all valuable. And at the same time, we need to be looking inward to see how we Mm -hmm. can be fixing ourselves to fix the systems in which we live in. Because like you said, people create the systems. Right. Right. But we don't want to give ourselves that, 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 that burden to carry. Yeah. No, we need shadow work being taught in elementary school. I'm like, (laughs) how do we, how do we disseminate this into curriculum? You know, gosh. Yeah. We're just, I mean, we're, Meadow and I can't say it enough how grateful we are for the work that you do because this, it's just, this, this is what will change the world. This exact type of work is what is going to change the world. And I firmly believe that. So when we have these conversations, like I have, I have a lot of hope as bleak yeah, yeah, as absolutely. things can seem on a day to day. I do have a lot of hope because these conversations like this are happening. Yeah. 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 And I agree. I agree. And I think we, we do need that hope. You know, yeah. we have to believe that there is something out there worth still fighting for yeah. and really recognizing change also falls on a spectrum because I think we want all of these uh, systems to be demolished overnight. But I do think that when I look at my history, right, when I look at what it means to be Black in this country, you know, my mindset, and this is not to be curt in any kind of way, but I'm just like, 400 years of slavery compared to what's happening currently, there's a lot of progress. And I think that although there have been new ways for slavery to be enacted in this country, right, because they're just uh, hidden underneath laws, I do think that there's beauty in knowing that I have access to things like this where we can talk on podcasts, we can share things on social media, um, I can be vocal about certain things that my ancestors were literally killed for, right? I have an ability to speak up and do certain things that literally centuries ago, my ancestors were killed for it, right? And I, it's, it's beautiful that I get an opportunity to do the things that I do. Um, and really help play a role in shifting and changing. And sometimes I, it sounds very grim, but I do have to look back and see the ways oppression manifested in this world and really be able to say like, what, what did they, what role did they pay for me to help me have what I have? And I also owe it to them and the next generation to make that switch because they did it for me. And so I'm doing this for, the next generation to follow so that they can look back and say, these are the things that Mina did. These are the things that Metal and Gabriella did. These are the things that we collectively did to come together to inform, to educate, and to really play a role in shifting the current climate that we're in because someone did it for us, you know? And so I'm really grateful that we have that. And I think that is what often gives me hope to continue to push forward. I love that because that feels like where gratitude comes into self-care because Mm -hmm. of that tip. Maybe we could move into some of like Mina's favorite tips, whether it's navigating social media, where it's your favorite ways to connect with community. Like what are some Mm -hmm. of your favorite actionable tools? Maybe one that you shared in the book. Yeah, I have a few. So I am like really big on 
social gatherings and community. Like I am a big co-regulator. Cool, cool. <laughs> yeah, like I'm really big on co-regulation. Yeah. I mean, I come from a large family, so of course, come, right. come on. I always want to, and be you're around. the baby, so everyone's holding right. you. Yeah. You're the baby. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It makes sense. And so I one I use community as a coping mechanism. You know, Mm -hmm. I say to myself when I'm having moments where I'm overwhelmed or I'm exhausted, who can I ask for help? That is my coping mechanism. How can Mm -hmm. I seek support from someone? I'm also social in a way where I'm like, everything doesn't have to be, let's go to brunch and let's spend money. I'll just sit on your couch and that makes me feel good, (laughs) you know? And so, yes. So I feel like that plays a big role in my healing And another thing that I love to do that I share in my book is grounding exercises. I'm really big on when I find myself feeling anxious, when I find myself feeling very overwhelmed, when I'm inward, basically, like when something is happening and I'm just stuck inward, I'm stuck in my head, I will literally like pause for a second and say, I hear the birds chirping. There's a desk in front of me. I'll touch the desk because sometimes. You can get so lost internally that you forget what's existing around you. And literally what feels like panic, my chest being tight, my stomach hurting, all of it fades and melts away because I realize what feels like a threat internally literally isn't here. Mm -hmm. It literally is not in Mm -hmm. front of me. God, that's huge. And so I'm like literally the type of person, like, especially if I'm driving, if I'm walking, I'll look up and I'm like, the sky is blue. Mm -hmm. I'll say there's a person walking down the street. I will literally Mm -hmm. start talking out loud, naming the things in my environment Mm -hmm. because that helps me to realize, oh, you're actually safe. Mm -hmm. Like that thing does not exist in this universe. Mm -hmm. And so you need to tap into this universe. Even like, I think what you said, Gabriella, earlier, right, about like being on your phone and you can just put your phone away and start to feel this sense of loneliness. And I asked myself, well, what is comforting in the here and now? What is comforting that's happening literally in this moment? And I find that that tends to be the number one thing that I always turn to. And I am also a really big fan of just like practicing deep breathing everywhere I go. And that is because I'm just a firm believer that we bring our body wherever we move through in life. And the same body that we hurt in is literally the same body that we heal in. Mm -hmm. And so this body that is often used to feeling depression, anxiety, or whatever the stress is doing to me internally, it is literally the same body that experiences joy, happiness, peace, right? And so if I have the capacity for the joy and the happiness, when I am feeling anxious, I often say, how can I shift through this most emotion using my body by literally taking a deep breath, by literally feeling what's happening to me, engaging my five senses? What do I see? What do I hear? What do I smell? What can I touch? Mm -hmm. And that is ultimately the thing that really helps me go from dysregulated to regulated. Those are incredible. Are, what are, I don't want to (laughs) like diminish it into like the five quick tips to be a better like peer, (laughs) but if we could, you know, mush it into something like that, what are the things that we could be doing to move in this world, being better, helpful community members for one another? So I think the first thing is going back to that self-care work. 
Mm. Learning and unlearning, challenging your biases, really asking yourself, how do I contribute to the world around me? Right? Sometimes I even like to ask myself really hard questions like, why should people be my friend? Why should someone want to date me? Who am I? Right. And giving myself answers, not just like asking the question, no, like literally naming these are Mm -hmm. the things about me that makes me a good community member, that makes me a good peer, that makes me a good friend. I'm kind. I listen. I'm non judgmental. I'm empathetic. I'm all of these things. And this is why people gravitate toward me. Sometimes we skip over that and we're so focused on other people that sometimes we have to say, well, if you want to be in connection with someone, Where's the reciprocity and what are you pouring out? So you need to self-reflect and say, what do I give to people? And Mm -hmm. why should people want to be around me the way I want them to be around me, right? What am I giving? I think the next thing is we also have to remember, I think this is so important when it comes to like that peer-to-peer support is remembering that no relationship is equal. And so what Gabriella needs may not be what Meadow needs and vice versa, right? Also, a assessing my level of closeness with people, right? And so realizing the boundaries I have with Gabriella, I may not have them with metal because metal falls on a different spectrum of friendship and closeness compared to Gabriella. So how I show up as a peer and how I show up in these relationships looks different and that is okay, right? You're going to get one side of me that maybe another friend doesn't get. I also think it's important to remember too, because I hear this often in the boundary context where it's like, no, is is a complete sentence. And I'll say, well, for person A, no is a complete sentence. And for person B, it's a no dot, dot, dot. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. And that is because Uh (laughs) I owe you, I owe you an explanation. I believe you deserve it. I believe it's a courtesy to inform you because of the level of closeness that we have, I'm not just going to say, no, you've been my best friend for 25 years, but I'm not going to your wedding. Absolutely Uh not. No point, period. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. With no Mm -hmm. explanation as a courtesy. Right. I'm in a relationship and my partner is asking something of me and I'm like, no, period. You deal with it. And I'm married to this person. We have a kid together. Absolutely not. (laughs) Back to the respect. It's the respect aspect. Right. So I think when we're thinking of peer support as well, it's really important for us to really apply nuance to every situation, even on a peer level, so that we are building healthy relationships and meeting people where they are and owning and assessing that no relationship is equal. So we should not be taking blanketed statements or blanketed ideologies and just applying it universally to the people in our lives. And I think, (laughs) I mean, it's just like, I'm sorry, but like, God, isn't it, isn't it like, isn't it so funny how in this uptick of respect for ourselves, there has been so much respect lost for other people. Oh my god! I like I saw these people on the internet talking the about TikTok like curse. The, the the this main character energy, yeah. and it was so funny in the way this creator said it. They were like, "Isn't it so funny that someone could be like, I'm so hot, I'm so perfect, fuck you, like, and that's the energy, yeah. like, it's just, <laughs> oh my god." Okay, continue. I'm sorry, it's just wild. Yeah, <laughs> I know what creator you're talking about. I yeah. saw that too. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah you know, and I think yeah. that we. We need to be mindful, you know, and I think that's just a yeah. big part of the peer 
peer support. And I also think a big part of peer support is just really learning to meet people where they are. Because I also think that we're in a culture around healing where a lot of people, and I don't know if it's because I see this so much on social media and because they're not my clients, I can't really delve into the intricacies of what they're trying to say, but this concept of outgrowing everybody, right? right? And I think that it's important to own and recognize that where I am on my journey, you may be somewhere else. And that is okay. Right. Because going back to what we talked about earlier, right, like you are your own autonomous person. And if I now decide that in order for me to have relationships and to support someone, they have to think like me, act like me, do everything the way I do it. Am I learning to own the intricacies of what makes someone who they are? Right. And again, to apply nuance here in case people are thinking in black and white, I'm not talking about oppression and racism and people who are abusive. Okay. I just want to put that disclaimer out there. So I think it's just important for us to own, like, you know, often when we're the ones healing, we are actually the outgrowing our old selves. Those people around us are being who they always have been. You're changing. You are the person with the new energy. And so sometimes it's important to just look inward and say, like, if I want to support my peers, I can't expect my peers to be an identical version of who I am. What does it look like to meet people where they are? Also, sometimes I need to be introspective and say, like, how did my healing journey start? I'm quite sure I was in the pre-contemplation phase for years. So what does it look like for me to support someone who is in their pre-contemplation phase, even though I want to push them toward action, they may not be ready yet. They may not be there. They may not be in a space where they feel safe enough to take that big leap, but they're considering it. They're thinking about it. They're really exposing themselves to new things. And I also need to be okay with being with them in the waiting room until they're ready to enter that next phase of their journey, you know, when it comes to their healing. And I think that is what true peer support is being able to own. We can be in community and be in friendship with each other. And I own that we're just in different spaces and I can still honor you and respect you. Mm. I mean, I think that is a beautiful place to to end. I mean, I could talk to you forever. I this know, was come back. <laughs> I Meadow and I said this right before we started recording and you joined the call. We were like, we just know that this is going to we we were so excited to just show up and and listen and learn because, you know, we admire you so much. You are truly like our favorite follow on the internet. So oh, everybody who's not following you. Mina, make sure you are. We'll have everything linked below and buy it's her not book hyperbolic and everything. that you've been on our bucket list. Yeah. Like, that is a real like we've been dying to talk well, to you. I'm so, so glad I'm it so worked excited. out. Despite yeah. all the scheduling stuff, I'm so glad it worked out. Thank you both for having me. Oh, thank you so, so, so much. We're so grateful. And remind everyone where they can get your book. Yes. Well, you can find my book anywhere books are sold. The name of my book is Owning Our Struggles. And you can find it on Amazon. You can order it from Target. I also want to share that um, the Audible is available as well. So if you don't want to read it, you can also listen to the book. And you can also find me on www.meanabee.com to engage with me, learn more about my work, and also order my book. Yay! Yay! Thank you so much, Mina. And everyone follow her immediately. Yes. (laughs) Thank you.
How's it going, y'all? It's Aaron. Don't let your Monday suck. Don't have those Sunday scaries. I'm tired of everybody waking up in the week saying, ah, shit, it's Monday. You know what goes down? TMV releases every week on Mondays. Make sure you rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're watching YouTube, yes, TMV has a YouTube. Be sure to subscribe and ring that noti bell and never miss a thing. And also, join the TMV familia by joining the Thoughts May Vary Patreon and by following at Thoughts May Vary Pod on Instagram and TikTok. Thank you for listening. Great. There you go. Thanks, baby. Gotcha.